it's now time to uh, uh, transition over. Uh, we're so pleased to have Terry Virgo with us this morning. He's the founder of New Frontiers and uh, our family of churches relational mission that we are part of uh, has come out of this wonderful family uh, of New Frontiers. And it's our privilege to be able to hear a bit more of Terry's story this morning and uh, to have him open up God's word with us. So welcome, Terry. Uh, it's uh, so great to have you with us from the uh, confinement of your own home, but we're so pleased to be able to make this happen uh, on Zoom. Uh, we've had a real privilege to have you with us over the weekend already with uh, some of our leaders uh, on Friday night and Saturday night. You've been speaking into foundation of grace and living a spirit-filled life and uh, sharing some of the story of New Frontiers. Now, um, quite a few people in our congregation will be familiar with that story. They've been to Dale's Bible Weeks or Downs or Stonely or other things. Uh, others won't have a clue, really, um, so it will be their first time. So we just thought to start off with a short introduction of your story uh, and New Frontiers uh, before you open up God's Word. So uh, a, a very warm welcome, Terry. Thank you so much. It's great to be back with you again today. So I enjoyed my time with you and blessed this morning just to feel the vitality of the church, people having things to share. It's a wonderful, wonderful sense of family, and it's a joy to be with you. Thanks so much for the invitation. Uh, you've asked me to tell a bit of the story of New Frontiers. I'll, I'll try to be concise and pick up key things. Uh, it started really with my being in a small church on the south coast in a small town called Seaford, where I, having been filled with the Spirit, was invited to be their first pastor, quite a new church, a formal church initially, and had the joy of gradually leading that church, laying hands on people, and more and more people got filled with the Spirit. To be honest, it wasn't all that easy. It took about four years. For By the end of four years, which was about 1972, um, I think we could call it a Spirit-filled church with a very vibrant worship, terrific sense of community, we had small groups living in, uh, working in homes, which was quite a radical new thing in those days. And our worship times were full of the presence of God. So we'd seen something happen. It wasn't a big church, but God was wonderfully there. People started visiting us, I think, because probably uh, what we'd seen happen was pretty new. And, uh, and I started to get invited out, uh, which had been prophesied would happen. And I was invited to a, a house of a guy I'd yet to meet uh, about an hour from my home. And I took a car full with me. And uh, there was a group of people there uh, wanting to hear about life in the spirit, new kind of church life. And I preached and we laid hands on some people. And I was asked, would I come regularly and arrange to go every other week? And this group just grew quite remarkably, uh, so much so that uh, uh, the, the lounge was full and I used to stand in the doorway and people were in the hall, literally up the stairs, <laughs> spilling into the kitchen. And uh, that just began to be a, a pretty vibrant meeting. And then a couple from that home, uh, from that group, uh, moved to another town um, and, and started doing a similar thing. And they said, would you come to us now? And so I went alternate weeks with a different car load um, to the two different places, and they both continued growing. And then gradually, I was invited to more places, uh, all within a kind of arc from my home base, all probably within an hour's drive. 
And I was probably going to about eight, maybe 10 uh, homes originally. They were house churches originally. And then they grew and, and most of them outgrew their home. Well, they all did and started hiring schoolrooms or community halls. And to be honest, all of them now meet in fairly large warehouses uh, uh, from Hastings, Eastbourne, Brighton, um, right across. There's a whole load of churches now that have become pretty big churches, but they started in small homes. So that's how we got started. And initially, it was very informal, simply Terry Vogo helping us uh, and often preaching and praying with people. And uh, that was all it was, really. And I used to gather, because gradually guys who hosted these things in their homes uh, gave up their jobs and began to be pastors. Um, uh, it was all very amateur, really. They'd not had any theological training at depth, but they were gathering you know, great, growing numbers of people. And so we started gathering those leaders, and we prayed together every week. And uh, we, we just grew in our fellowship. We were like a family. All the leaders became very close friends, scattered around the county of Sussex. And then people from Kent, a guy called Raylo came from Biggin Hill, David Holden from Sidcup. And gradually, this number of guys started growing. And I was involved in an increasing number of churches. And then a guy called John Groves, who was at that time an elder in the church at Hastings, had a vision of a herd of elephants charging and it was running and then it just kind of hit a jungle terrain and kept running and broke through and he prophesied and the opening line of his prophecy was there are no well-worn paths before you but together you can make a road where there is no road you can accomplish more together than you could apart many will follow. Well, it was a remarkable prophecy, and uh, we kind of sat up and said, wow, God, God's wanting us to, to become something together, which was uh, not something we were particularly aiming for before. We were doing some things together, but we hadn't thought of becoming like a group. And so we talked about what would we be like. Well, we were all uh, kind of standard evangelicals with the Spirit with us as well, and so I came up with kind of about 15 values that if you, if you were going to be with us, these are the sort of churches we would be. So it would be the Bible would be the final authority. The Holy Spirit would be welcome. Uh, we'd meet in small groups. We'd baptize believers, etc. So we agreed them. We talked them out together. Uh, I guess there must have been about 20 pastors at that stage. Um, and we talked around it and adjusted it and said, right, we all agree. That's it then. We're in this together. And, and we just began to grow. And uh, I, I was, uh, as I say, mostly in the county of Sussex. Brighton was the biggest town. And um, I, I started having meetings once a month in Brighton to bring these people together. We started in a hotel with about 250 uh, we moved to the art college, it grew. We moved to the Royal Pavilion in Brighton. Eventually, we moved to uh, Hove Town Hall. We started uh, with a few hundred. We, we grew to about a 1,000 people meeting once a month. And we began to get some momentum, some visibility. People began to realize what something's happening here. 
And then we all used to travel to the Dales Bible Week. I say we all did, many of us did, as a long journey. Eventually, uh, this was a different group of people, but we understood others were doing similar to us, starting new wineskins, because the new wine had come, the Holy Spirit had come. And in our uh, church life, my Baptist church background, and I love that church, a terrific pastor, but there was no real room for Holy Spirit worship or gifts of the Spirit. And so we wanted to build a church that was open to the Holy Spirit, something fresh and new and much more flexible. And that's what these churches became, where God could be present in, in more power and freedom and worship could be much more spontaneous and alive. And these churches became very popular and grew. And uh, we used to gather to a similar group in the north of England that once a year, uh, and they called it the Dales Bible Week. And uh, then the guys who ran the Dales Bible Week, uh, I was invited to preach there. And then they said, why don't you do one in the south? And so we started one at Plumpton Racetrack. We hired a circus tent. And our first year, we gathered 2,700. Uh, and we ran it for about 10 years. And it grew to just under 10,000. Uh, so we were getting more and more visibility. Um, more and more churches joining us. And gradually, uh, it was too much for me to do on my own. And so I invited some of the guys whose churches I'd hoped I'd helped. Um, uh, initially, there were all new churches, house churches that grew. And then gradually, in the London area, uh, there was a church in, in South London, Catford, which is now called King's Church, where Steve Tibbet is. But there was a guy called Richard Hayden Noel there. And uh, I had the joy of going there once a month, going for a couple of days, meeting with the leaders, spending the next day with Richard and his wife, and then meeting the whole church in the evening. And that church completely transformed, opened the Holy Spirit uh, up to him, and it grew. And, and other churches in South London saw what happened and said, would I get involved with them? And after a while, I said to Richard, look, I can't do all this. Will, will you do this one? Will you do that one? And similarly with David Holden, I asked him, would you do one and will you do another? And so gradually I was forming a team and we began to grow uh, more and more churches. And then began more and more aware that we were involved in Holland. We were beginning to be involved somewhat in France. And I, I felt, well, there are other teams in England. There were teams in Southampton, in the north and so on. And I thought, well, you know, that's their territory. We're just in the southeast. We're, we go as far as London, but we weren't going any further than London at that time. And we began to wonder if we should get more involved in, in France and Holland. And uh, I was praying and saw a vision of a map of England and superimposed over the southeast corner was a bow and arrow. And the bow was pointing outward towards continental Europe and beyond. And as I looked at it, the arrow was pulled back across the map as far as London and then let go, and the arrow hardly travelled. And I felt God said to me, you won't have much impact if you're only going from pulling the bow back as far as London. You need to pull the bow back right across the UK so that the bow will have real strength to send you on world mission. And that had a huge impact on us. So we began to say, okay, we need to plant more churches across the UK, not just as far as London, 
so that we can have the resource and the strength to go on world mission. And so we we began to change. We we moved, uh, some guys moved up to Manchester and started churches. Dave Devonish started moving into the Midlands and uh, we started planting churches across the whole UK. Uh, and then we moved our Bible week from the South Downs and Sussex and Plumpton and we moved right up to Stoneley, about as central as you could get in England, right there near Coventry, and started again with our Bible week. And we started where the other one closed, really, with about 10,000 the first year. And we ran it for 10 years, and it grew to just under 30,000, uh, spread over two weeks because the Stoneley Agricultural College uh, could only uh, take 15,000. So we went two weeks and grew uh, and it became quite a phenomenon in the nation. And so New Frontiers became known. We start called ourselves New Frontiers on the back of this vision about the elephants breaking through new territory. And so that was our name. And uh, New Frontiers churches multiplied. And then gradually we began to get involved overseas, initially in India with one church in what was called Bombay, now Mumbai. And uh, I started going regularly to a church there. And then teams would go there into a church called Living Word. And then that church planted out uh, another church. And we had an evangelist with us in Brighton called Lex Loisides, who stumbled into our church, an unsaved guy one day. And uh, he'd been to an all-night party and came stumbling in in the morning with a group of friends to mock church and hallelujah he got to be a wonderful evangelist he got saved and uh, i asked him would you go and be with this church plant in india and he went with his wife and uh, they planted another church in india and then another living hope living light and then planting churches all around uh, um, bombay originally and then reaching out to bangalore and delhi and goa and and actually this month have it not been for the virus, uh, I would be with uh, the, the churches in India. They gather all their leaders. Last time I was there two years ago, uh, we had a celebration in Mumbai with 1,500 people. We had a leader's uh, time in Bangalore. And it's about 120 churches now in India. It all came from one church, and it just grew, and God blessed what we did in India. Similar thing happened in South Africa. One church in Cape Town. Uh, I won't have the time to tell you how it all came about, but one church in Cape Town, and now the scores of churches in, in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, in Zambia, and on and on, Kenya, and uh, across West Africa too. Uh, God, God has just, again and again, we started with one church and then just gone in with teams and blessed and taught and encouraged, and they've grown and prospered. Similar in Mexico, Guadalajara, then into Russia, and on and on. And so now we're in over 70 nations. And uh, last month, or a couple of weeks ago, we had what we called our global conference. And once again, I, I would have been in Cyprus, where we would host that. Uh, we, we used to host everything in England. Then we thought, no, no, uh, we're an international family now. And so we started having our leaders meetings initially in Turkey, then in Greece, and then in Cyprus. Uh, and they're, they're quite easy for people to get into from Africa and India. 
cuffs from the states and so on. And so we would have we had it last week online, like we're doing here on Zoom, and it was terrific to see、uh, loads and loads of Indian guys waving their greetings from、uh, across there and all over the world. People gathered in、uh, to that conference. So we're pressing forward across the nations. And then more recently,、uh, we we started when we stopped Stonely Bible Week, which ran for ten years. We started a, an annual leaders conference at, at Brighton, where I was based, and、uh, we 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 used the Brighton Conference Centre, which could take like five thousand. It was a terrific place for us to gather. We'd gather like four and a half thousand people there,、uh, leaders from all over, and.、Uh, We had different speakers each year, and on、uh, one year we had a guy called Mark Driscoll, who, when he spoke publicly, actually, to our surprise, suddenly in his last talk said,、uh, "Are you going to get ready for your next generation?" and and pointed out that Terry was not getting any younger, and surely he should be getting ready for the next guy to lead this movement. And he said it to like four and a half thousand people. So as a team, we have been talking about that, but not done anything. We've been talking about it for some years, but never did anything. So now it was in our face, and I went straight to the platform and embraced him and thanked him and said to the thousands present, "Hey, God has spoken. We will follow this through." And initially, he actually said, as an illustration, he'd been in my home. And seen a photograph of my daughter's wedding, and he used the illustration. Terry needs to find a young man to marry his daughter, as though New Frontiers was my daughter, as it were. And I needed to find a young man to sing on. And、uh, initially, we began to look at that to see if, who would that young man be.、Uh, but through a number of reasons, and I won't get into it all now. God spoke to us quite clearly and said, "Don't look for one leader, but honour the leaders that have emerged among you. Don't hand over to one; hand over to the fathers that God has raised up." It happens. One of the ways God spoke to me was, "I have five kids, and they're all married now and have their kids.、Uh, we have twenty-one grandchildren, and so sons have become fathers." And I felt God said to me, "You know, your sons won't be looking to one of them to become the leader of the family. They're all leaders of their families." And、uh, so we, instead of、um, going for one, released fifteen, about fifteen guys, all across the world—Mexico, Russia, Ukraine, India—and within the UK,、uh, there were seven teams within the UK. Five English-based ones, two South African-based ones, but、uh, teams right across the UK, so that you, for instance, are in relational mission with Mike Betts, whom I got to meet some years ago when we first of all got involved in Norwich, and then into Lowestoft, and then into、uh, the Norfolk area with all the church plants there, and Cambridge, and yourselves,、um, and、uh, so it's my joy. Uh, to now keep in touch with these、uh, brothers, but they they lead their movements. I don't lead them anymore. I handed it all over about nine years ago now, and、uh, they're running with their teams. We all stay in touch. We enjoy fellowship. We appreciate 
uh, brotherly love. But now they've all got their own teams, their own momentum, their own vision. So Mike's carrying that enough prayer thing that's gathering so many people to pray. Enjoying fellowship with Edward Berea in Kenya. There's a lot of interrelationship among the various teams. And uh, so you're pressing on in that world. It's all part of the international family called New Frontiers. So that, uh, in a, as quick as I could, <laughs> is uh, an overview of the journey thus far. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Terry. Uh, incredible how you've managed to whisk through that in uh, 15 minutes. Uh, it's so wonderful to hear the legacy and the story, I think, of New Frontiers that's developed and uh, finding us where we are now. We're so privileged to have you with us. Uh, we've been so privileged with uh, being part of Relational Mission, our apostolic team. And uh, yeah, it's for a real privilege to have uh, uh, you with us today. And uh, I think one of the things that we so appreciate, I think just your love for the church, I think even over the last few days, the way that you've spoken uh, full of love and uh, encouragement and energy uh, after all these years, giving yourself with the same passion. So um, uh, we've really appreciated your teaching. I think the way that you open up scripture has been such a privilege and uh, laid a real foundation in, uh, in all of our churches. So, um, next to hearing the story of New Frontiers, we're really looking forward to hear what uh, you feel God wants to bring to us this morning. So we'll zoom back over to you to open up the scriptures with us. Okay, thank you so much. It's real fun being with you guys. As I say, I've really enjoyed the atmosphere, the culture that you've developed among yourselves. I've obviously been somewhat affected in the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, what an extraordinary year we're living through. Um, uh, my program had been very full. Uh, I think probably in my diary, it looked as busy as I ever remember. I was going to America three times, Canada. I'd be in India next month, South Africa. I was going to Spain and all sorts of things that were coming and it's all gone. <laughs> so one has been at home most of the time, like, like all of us really locked in, in difficulty. And I think that brings its own challenge and the verse that really uh, stirred me and spoke to me is in Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, I don't want you to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right? Don't be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And Father, we just ask you, please, that you will speak to us now come and speak into our hearts and encourage us i do pray father in jesus name amen the whole book of hebrews really is is written as a uh, an epistle of encouragement uh, these jewish people had discovered the gospel they stepped into an experience of christ they were now christians but they were going through a very difficult patch and, and the temptation uh, to kind of throw in the towel was very real. If you read the epistle right through, uh, you'll find that's the tone. Keep on, be encouraged. This is good. This is better. Press on. And then you come to the very famous Hebrews chapter 11 with all these terrific men and women of faith uh, in the Old Testament. So come on, be like them. Uh, press through. And uh, that's the feel of the whole uh, epistle. And so he's saying here, uh, don't don't become sluggish. Uh, the NIV translates it lazy. It's interesting. I found in a previous chapter, chapter five, 
And uh, it says that you should not become dull. Uh, and that's the same Greek word as what's translated sluggish in chapter six. Don't become dull. And I felt, hey, there's a real danger in us losing our brightness. There's a danger we become dull. We could just get shut down because of the challenge we're going through, the difficulty that we're facing. And so in what ways could we be dull? Well, let's just think about our makeup. For instance, mind, our hearts, our wills. We could become dull in our minds. In fact, where it says about don't be dull, it says you become dull of hearing. By now you should be teachers, but I have to give you milk, not solid food. So we could be dull in terms of not using our minds. I would encourage you, hey, it's so. In I found myself, I, I was a terrible backslider as a Christian when I first got saved. And then I, I really repented and, and, and I, I used to commute every day from Brighton to London. And I had an hour each way. And I used to play cards before, but I started reading. And I can't tell you what a terrific blessing it was to me to read the stories of men and women who had proved God over the years. And I read the story of Jim Elliot and the story of Hudson Taylor and the story of C.T. Studd and all these great heroes. And I, I found it was incredibly stimulating. It, it made, my, made me think freshly. Uh, and then I started reading books more about the Bible itself and getting into the truth. Uh, and I found that I got fascinated with things of God. I've just been reading a manuscript of uh, a new book that Andrew Wilson has written. You may have heard Andrew's name. And it's a fascinating book. It's just about things, can you imagine? Uh, it's got a, each chapter is about the thing that God's created. It starts with dust. It goes on to pigs and rainbows. And it's just that every chapter is brilliant. And I just turn over and read the next chapter. I didn't want the book to end. And I thought, oh, he's just given his mind to what the Bible says. And I'm amazed how he could find things about dust, about pigs, about rainbows, and many other things. And I thought, oh, it's such a blessing to let your mind be alert. And you can get dull in your mind. It could just become kind of boring because you're not stimulating your mind. So let me encourage you, first of all, don't, let, don't become dull. Don't just, well, what's on television tonight? No, make sure your mind is being informed with things. Yeah, get, in, get into the Word, get into books that inspire, books that help you, books that encourage you. So don't be dull in your mind. That's what it says in this passage. You become dull of hearing. Your mind's got dull. And I mean, who wants to be a dull Christian? <laughs> I don't want to be a dull Christian. And then emotionally, we can, we can begin to dial down. Our expectation levels can begin to sink. And yet the Bible talks about, for, for us who believe, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. I mean, that's just one verse in Peter. Well, I could find other verses that speak about in his presence, his fullness of joy. Now, that means that we should be experiencing emotional highs. I mean, we can have highs in the world. I was pretty excited when England won the Six Nations yesterday. I should be even more excited if Brighton beat Spurs tonight. 
but, you know, that's just a fleeting joy. It will come and go. But the Bible talks about unspeakable joy and full of glory. In other words, it's, it's different to any kind of fun we can have in life. That there is a joy that we can taste. There's an experience of God. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Your love is better than wine. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And so the Bible frequently speaks about real highs. You see, don't, don't be like someone who sits at the piano and only plays like the two middle chords. You know, let's play the whole piano, the whole, the upper notes, the lower notes. Don't become emotionally dull, you know, predictable, boring. Are you enjoying some highs? You can enjoy highs with God. We've been filled with the Spirit. We can know joy unspeakable. We can sing to him, make melody to him, enjoy him, taste and see how good he is. Jesus came and he said, I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And so he's speaking about emotional satisfaction. And dear friends, an old Puritan called John Flavel said this, if we don't find emotional fulfillment in Jesus, our souls will go in secret search for enjoyment somewhere else. And that is true. You know, if we don't find joy in Jesus, you, find, you want to find joy somewhere. And so you, you go in secret search. You go looking for other things that really excite you. And sometimes those are pretty dangerous things that can appeal to your flesh and other ways of getting you emotionally excited. So be careful. Let's not grow dull because we'll start looking somewhere else for some excitement. And being shut in, as some of us are being, we need to be aware of this. So in our minds, in our emotions, and then thirdly, in our will, we can become sluggish. If you look at the book of Proverbs, it, it talks about certain characters, it talks about the simple, it, it talks about the sluggard. It's quite funny, actually, if you look at the sluggard, it's quite a comic character. And the sluggard who never gets anything, it says the sluggard puts his spoon in the, in the food but can't be bothered to lift it to his mouth. There's like crazy things about the sluggard. He's a lazy guy. But it does say this, and it kind of surprised me. It says the sluggard craves but gets nothing. And I never realized the sluggard craves. The sluggard would like something, but it doesn't get it. Why? Well, because he's, he's not disciplined. He's not disciplined. And, and a sluggard is not a rare creature. A sluggard is like many of us who don't bother to make good choices. We don't bother to make good decisions. As John Piper says, we all want to pray, but we don't plan to pray. It's not that we want to become legalists. Uh, I spoke the other evening about grace. <laughs> I'm not a legalist. Praise God for grace. I'm not trying to impress God with a legalistic attitude. Legalists are always trying to prove themselves. No, Jesus has done everything needful. I'm not trying to make myself righteous. Jesus has done it for me. Hallelujah. But having been made righteous, I, 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 want to, I don't want to waste it. And so... Discipline's quite an important part. And, and we can just become sluggish. We can find, oh, I watched the movie till quite late, and so I, I didn't get up in the morning, so 
I didn't bother. And, and things, it's not like we make a big decision, I'm not going to follow God. That's not it at all. It's like we just fail to make some good choices and we begin to drift. And so we just get sluggish. Things get away from us. And we, we can't remember when we last really had a joyful time of worship alone with God. Or we can't remember when we last really worked our way through an epistle or something and you know, worked at it, so I'm going to do this. Because, well, we, we drift. We don't take responsibility. There's a guy called Ed Cole, and he says this, the popular notion is that maturity comes with age. Then he says, no, you get old with age. Maturity comes with taking responsibility. You see, you're only young once, people say, but you can stay immature all your life. I've met some very mature young people, and I've met some immature old people. They didn't bother to make choices. They let, they let life drift past them. And so I, I don't want to be a legalist. I don't have any need to be. Grace has set me free. But if you don't take on some disciplines, your life just slipped past you. You can become sluggish. You don't do it by sudden decision. Don't say, I'm going to be a sluggard. You just let things drift. And you just realize, oh, I missed it. I missed it. And, and so he's saying, no, don't, don't do that. This is what this, chat, this verse is saying, that you don't become sluggish. So what do we do? Let's work hard. No, no, it doesn't say that. That's what I love about this chapter. It doesn't say, so work hard. It says, don't become sluggish, but become imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. All right, so this is the kind of second half of what I want to say to you. We don't get to be sluggish. We don't throw away what we could be. But what do we do? Become hard workers? No, no, it doesn't say that. It says become imitators. All right, so that's the first thing, an imitator. Now, it's interesting. We tend to think imitation is not the real thing. You know, it's just imitation. But the word imitate in the New Testament is never used negatively. Never. It's always used positively, and it's always in present tense. Keep on imitating. So who are we supposed to imitate? Well, it says imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Now, that's why Hebrews 11 is in the epistle. You've got one after another after another of these wonderful people who inherited what God had promised her. So you see, God has made wonderful promises. That's how you get to know God. God. God has come to the human race making us promises. And the Bible's full of, it's not like a, a systematic theology. It shows how Abraham believed the promise. And then Jacob believed the promise. Then Moses believed the promise. These people, Hannah, believed the promise. God made promises to people, and they believed them. And the great danger of becoming sluggish is you drift away from the promises that God has made. That's the biggest danger of all. God has made us promises. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's through the very great promises that we escape the corruption that's in the world and become partakers of the divine nature. It's the very, it's these promises 
So God's promised us, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. See, God's promised every believer some wonderful things, that we can be fruitful, that when we meet Jesus one day, hey, we'll be carrying a lot of fruit with us. Because God's promised that. God's promised us that sin will not have any dominion over you. That's a promise of God. The Bible's full of wonderful promises. Your anger doesn't have to dominate you. Lustful thoughts don't have to win the day. There are, prom there are clear, wonderful promises. We don't have to drift into sin because God's promised us something better. So we mustn't drift away. It's when you drift away from the promises that we lose our way. But there's not only that. There's particular promises God, God has made you. I love seeing people's Bibles where you see verses. Often you see in a guy's Bible, uh, verses underlined. I've seen in people's Bibles verses underlined and, and a date written in the diary, in the, in the margin. It's like, God promised me that. Have you got promises? It's one of the ways you get to know God, that you feel he whispered a promise into your heart. And that's what makes your relationship with him significant and personal. It says we are his, each one of us is his workmanship. One Bible translates it, his work of art. We're his, his work of art. People like us, can you believe it? We're his work of art. And to do things that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. God, I'm amazed. God looked at our lives, looked at my trash life, and said, I've got, I've got plans for you. He said, what, me? Yeah, I've got promises. And, and, and over the years, God's whispered promises into my heart, things I know he said to me. Now, if I get sluggish, I can drift away from those promises. I can let them slip away from me. General promises like fruitfulness and particular promises. Like God gives you words. God gives you promises. He makes a scripture come alive to you. I remember years ago, I was reading one morning, and I'm just reading uh, the word to Solomon. The Lord has chosen you to build a house for the Lord. Be strong and do it. I knew God spoke to me. I knew God told me to build a house for him. It, it was just his word coming alive. I know it's written to Solomon, but suddenly it was to me. I knew God told me I was to, I was to be a house builder. I'm going to build a family. I'm going to build a community. He gave me the promise. He gives us promises. And, beloved, God's given you promises. You can think of things he said to you, either from Scripture or from prophecy. God has given you promises. Now, the great danger is drifting away from the promises, because then you lose your kind of intimate personal expectation from God, the excitement of believing God, knowing that he's got something for you. And sluggishness can just, oh, I, can't, I just don't know, maybe, and so on. It says, that, it says here, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited so let's think about them. Look at them. I, I, I'm amazed at people who can imitate, aren't you? Uh, these guys who do impersonations, I think, how does he do that? That is so brilliant. You can see them imitating famous politicians or uh, um, film stars or something. You think, oh, he's got that voice. 
He's even got the way he holds his head. He's like, ah, how do you do that? When he looked closely, he listened closely so he could imitate. So let's be imitators. I think of Joseph, for instance. So God spoke to Joseph through a dream, a vision. And he said, all your brothers will bow down to you. And you're going to have government, really. You're going to have authority. He said this to a young guy, Joseph, who actually was pretty irresponsible, maybe unpleasant young guy. His brothers didn't like him. And they, they sold him down to Egypt, you may remember, as a slave. And he's got this promise from God. And in fact, he's a slave in another nation. And then he's in a home of a guy called Potiphar, who's a powerful guy. And, and it says God blessed the home where he was. And then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph and he's out of there. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. But as a result, he's thrown into prison. You see, man, alive. I've got promises. And, and I'm away. How my brother's going to bow down to me? I'm away from my brothers. I'm in another nation. I'm in prison. I'm as good as dead. And yet the amazing thing was this. Joseph kept believing the promise. How do we know that? Well, he's in prison with very little on the horizon. And two other guys get thrown into his prison cell. You may remember the story. And they come to Joseph and they say, I've had a dream. I think if I was Joseph, I'd say, hey, forget dreams. I, I used to have a dream. That's why I'm in prison now. Forget the whole thing. He doesn't. He says, Tell me your dream. I think, wow, well done, Joseph. Well done. Because he still believes dreams. He's so far from what looks like the full moon, but he's still believing the promise. And then, you know, he gives them interpretation of their dream. And then they still have to wait. And then Pharaoh has a dream. He just needs one more man to have a dream. And they send for Joseph, and you know the story. Joseph interprets his dream, and wham, there he goes. He's now prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers come and bow down. And the whole thing is fulfilled. He enters into the promises. Beloved, he inherits the promise. Don't be sluggish. The great danger of becoming sluggish is you let the promises slip through your fingers. The promise that you will be fruitful. The promise that sin won't have dominion over you. And the promises God's specially given you. So look at these people. It says about Abraham. God, Abra God promised Abraham that he'd have a child. And it says Abraham considered his own body as good as dead because he was about 100 years old. And his wife's barren. And then it says this. He grew strong in faith. And this delay grew strong. I think you'd lose faith with a delay. We already quoted it, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Huh. But Abraham grew strong in faith. Fully, it says, worshipping God gave glory to God, fully persuaded that what God had promised he's able to do. That's the most wonderful verse. I've lived with that verse for years. What God has promised See, God wouldn't make a promise if he couldn't do it. There's nothing he can't do. And so he said to Abraham, you will have a son. 
and actually said to Abraham, can you count the stars? So many will your children be. I mean, incredible promise. And Abraham grew, grew strong in faith, fully persuaded. Because you've got to let the promises persuade you. Oh, God wouldn't have told me if he didn't mean it. Let it and I, beloved, I've been through so many challenges over the, you know, being this thing a long time. You know, the building in Brighton for our meeting, we were told you can't have it. You cannot have this warehouse. But God told us we could. So we kept believing. We kept fighting. We kept praying. We got it. I've seen so many situations where it looks like you can't do it, but God promised. And so we fight using the promises. We believe. We overcome through faith. That We are called believers. And so when you get sluggish, you stop believing. It's such a key. It's not just trying to be good, turn up at meetings, do your duty. It's believing God. That's the exciting thing. That's, to be honest, beloved, that's what we've seen happen all these years with the Bible weeks and the multiplication of churches. We kept believing God. I'm interested to notice that we need one another in that. It's not that one is, as an individual, infallible. The Bible says we need one another. That's why I love the way you have your meeting. I love even, even with us not able to get in the room. I love the fact you say, anybody got a word for us? That's beautiful. And I don't know that a lot of churches are doing that. So I do commend you that you're, you're still doing this. Because I noticed this, looking at these heroes, imitate those who went before, who with faith and patience inherited. It says about David, you know, David, the man after God's own heart, David who took out Goliath, David who became a mighty captain in Saul's army, and then Saul turned against him and started throwing spears at him, and he had to run for it. And it, it looked like Saul repented, then he didn't. And I mean, David's in a, you know, he's living in a cave. It's like, this is what a dead loss this is. And one day he says to Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son, he says, one day I'll die at the hands of Saul. He's just about to give up the promise. And his friend, Jonathan, says to him, no, you won't. No, you won't. You're going to be king. You're going to be king. And Jonathan strengthens his hand in God. He reminds him of the promises. He brings him back to the promises. And beloved, that's why we need one another. That's what the church is all about. We're not called to isolated, uh, being a hero or heroine of faith. You know, we read about some of these people who are great heroes, but actually we need one another. There are over 40 one another verses in the New Testament that pray for one another, encourage one another. You know, over 40 one another. We need one another. We're joined together. God wants that. Encourage, build up one another, speak the truth to one another. It's a good Bible study. Look at all the one another verses. And Jonathan strengthened him. He said, come on, you're going to be. He brought him back to the promise. I would be so thrilled if this morning, by speaking this word to you, I'm bringing some of you back to promises that may be you are going to let slip through your fingers, let them drift away. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is doing. He's saying, 
come on, don't get sluggish. Don't, don't let your mind become oh, bored. Don't let your emotions, ah, oh, who's got time? No, no, get joyful in Jesus. Well, Nehemiah said to the people when they were getting discouraged, no, 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 don't go there. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, keep enjoying Jesus. Keep experiencing his love. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And then we do, we do need to make good choices, good disciplines, good steps. Sometimes people say to me, um, you know, they like come to me and would you pray for me? What do you want me to pray? Or pray a blessing. And, and I, if I pray for someone, I'd often say, Lord, help him, help her make good choices. Happen to make good choices. Not just a blessing, but we make good decisions that will help us grow in God. So don't, don't throw away the promises God's given, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit. And sometimes our faith is tested. It's more precious than gold. We go through tests. We go through trials. It happens to us. You find that again and again in the Bible, and it's to be expected. I, I'm just reminded of uh, when God really spoke to me about this when I was pastoring the church in Brighton, and we were we we got the warehouse. We had to. It cost us a lot of money in the end, a lot huge sums of money, and we used to have three gift days a year. It was a spring gift day, a summer gift day, and an autumn gift day. And we kind of built to these gift days and prayed towards them. Uh, and we, we needed to raise, in the end, we were raising £100,000 each gift day. We, that's the target. We wanted to get the whole thing written off by the end of the millennium. That was our goal. And I remember one year, first the spring offering, we prayed and got ourselves ready and we gave, yeah, 100000 got it, wonderful. Then we came to the summer one. Uh, we prayed, we preached, we got ready for it, took the offering, 100,000, got it. And then we came into the autumn, we prayed and so on, and we got the gift day, and it was 85,000. And I remember thinking, wow, it's tremendous, really, 85,000, wonderful. And we got, you know, so we got, we got the 285,000 over the year, you know, so I thought, wow, wonderful. And so I kind of said to the church, well, didn't quite make it, but praise God. And I felt God whispered into my heart. Oh, so that's all right then, is it? I thought, oh, oh, so, so I thought he said to me, I thought you wanted 100,000. I thought, I thought, well, I did. He said, but so why are you happy with 85? And I thought, wow. I went, really, really? I thought, Lord. And I thought he said to me, I thought you wanted 100,000. Why, why are you settling? I thought, Lord, I'm not settling. Come on, I want, I want 100,000. And, and I, went, I went back to him in prayer. I said, Lord, you promised. I promised. And we, and we prayed again and prayed again, and we got the 100,000. And I realized I, I would have let the promise slip away. I love, I love these stories. I love the story of Caleb. You know, Caleb, he had to wait 40 years. He was ready to go into the promised land. You may remember the story of Caleb. They came to the promised land, a place called Kadesh Barnea, they were, and there were 10 spies who said, we can't do it, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers, they're giants, we can't do it. And Caleb and Joshua said, we can, we can. They'll be praying, they'll be out praying, we can take it. And the other said, no, 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 no. And they nearly stoned 
Joseph, uh, Joshua and Caleb. They had to stone them. And they had to endure 40 years of walking around the wilderness while that generation of unbelievers passed away. And then the 40 years are up and they come back to the borders of the land. And Caleb says to Joshua, now give me that mountain that God promised me. He said, I'm, I'm, as, I'm as strong now as I was 40 years ago. Now give me this mountain. You think, wow, what a guy. He's not let the promise slip. And what's fascinating also is that his daughter kind of caught his spirit. And you remember the story, perhaps, how his daughter comes to him and she's got married and she comes with her husband and says to Caleb, can you give us some of the mountain too? And the streams. And he said, yeah, he's reproduced faith in his family. And so, beloved, my time's up. Let me just encourage you. It's a difficult season. It really is tough. I understand. It's very tough. Yesterday's news, ah, here we go again. Another month. You know, Christmas, we may not see our families. It's tough. Who knows where it's going to finish? We may not even be halfway through this yet. It's tough. But I want to bring to you this lovely word. Don't grow dull. You don't want to become a dull Christian. No one wants to be a dull Christian. Keep your mind in tune. Keep feeding your mind with information. Let your heart soar. Get into the presence of Jesus. Get filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Sing to him, make melody, have some spiritual highs. Enjoy the Lord and get some discipline. And then focus on what these guys did, what these women did, what these men did. They believed God. Don't throw away the promises. Because the promises, God, what God promises you is what he wants you to do and be. When he said to Abraham, this is what you're going to be, that's his call in life. That's what he's on the planet for. And God's got works for each one of us to do. And he tends to communicate those things to us with promises. So God's made you promises. Let me encourage you to be renewed in your promise. And if you've in any way let things slip and you know you've grown dull, why don't you come back to Jesus even today and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I've, I've got dull. I'm not sharp like I once was. Lord, I just ask you, refresh me, renew me, renew your promise in my heart. I give myself freshly to the promises you made me. I'm going to believe. I'm going to see them fulfilled. God bless you very much. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much, Rata. Thank you so much, Terry. Perhaps you'd like to pray for us at the end before we wrap things up. Certainly. Father, I thank you so much for these dear people. I thank you, Lord, for their love for one another. I thank you for Walter's leadership. I thank you, God, for their openness to one another, to receive from one another, to encourage one another. And Father, I ask you, please, in Jesus' name, that your word will continue to do us good and it might be living seed in our hearts. And Father, I pray for, Lord, just good, good soil that it might produce 30, 60, 100-fold. It won't be falling on a pathway where the birds steal it away or on shallow ground where it just dies when the sun comes up or gets choked with thorns. I pray, please let 
this word I've shared fall on good soil and reproduce for your glory, Father. Bless your dear people. Let your church there shine. Let the people of that neighbourhood, their friends, their relatives, their neighbours, we pray let their lives count. Give opportunity to let them know about Jesus. Lord, bless your people, Father, I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Terry. Well, it's such a privilege to have you with us over this weekend, and uh, we're so grateful for your words. That was a very timely word and uh, very encouraging. I'm sure we all agree. Um, well, if you uh, can't quite get enough of uh, hearing Terry uh, speak, I think there are so many other resources that you could find. Um, uh, some books that I've particularly loved throughout the years, God's Lavish Grace. I've underlined uh, many of the uh, pages and chapters. I love scribbling in all of mine, uh, just the uh, reminding myself of the truth. Um, one that we looked at last night the spirit filled church i think a wonderful book so full of truths there's many others um, i've really loved your youtube channel as well if you just uh, find terry virgo on youtube your little uh, devotionals that come out each week uh, three to four minutes just wonderful truths that help us keep focused and uh, uh, keep our hearts uh, on things above so thank you for that so if you want to know more about these things you can find them i would really recommend them to you well, it's been a real great privilege to uh, be with you. Looking forward to see you next week. And uh, thank you very much, Terry, for being with us. We really bless you and Wendy and the family and uh, pray that you'll have a great rest of the week.